welcome everybody to Centennial Podcast, and we are on episode 11 now. And for episode 11, we have brought on guest Will Scouch from the Scouching Report. Today on the podcast, we actually have my friend Avery standing in for uh, Other Matt, as Other Matt wasn't able to make it tonight. So we have Avery. So Avery, thanks for joining us today for the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so today on the Centennial Podcast, we are welcoming Will Scouch uh, onto the show, and Will does a lot of uh, scouch reports on YouTube, and he's just kind of a good go-to source for everything to do with prospects uh, and the NHL draft. So uh, thanks, Will, for joining us today, and yeah, we got some questions lined up for you. So I think we'll start off the top. We're a Sense podcast. We want to know, who do you think sense your draft or what their biggest draft needs are oh i mean for the ottawa senators i don't i don't think you can really say that you have you know too much of anything um i i think that it's really interesting to see you know they they have drafted i'd say a lot i wasn't a huge fan of how they drafted last year but uh you know you can always have more of everything especially in a position like them them you know, I think you've drafted this year's draft the best players available at three and five. Um, you know, it would be really lovely to see someone like Quinton Byfield slip to three for them. Uh, if it's five, I mean, if you can come away with the best defenseman available, uh, as well as Quinton Byfield in the three and five slot this year, that's pretty darn good. And that gives you a pretty rock solid uh, pair of players. But beyond that, um, you know, you, you guys like Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz would be perfectly usable. Uh, but I look at the Ottawa Senators down the middle, down the road, um, and I think there are still question marks. Guys like Colin White, uh, guys like Logan Brown, you know, they're good pieces, I would say, that could be NHL players long term. But being a rock solid center in that slot at three or five uh, or two, for that matter, uh, could be a really good move, I would think. Yeah, I think improving their center depth is is definitely one of the key things that they need to address this year. Because to me, it feels like the Sens have a lot of like second or third line uh, centers in terms of what their ceiling is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that they need that star center because Logan Brown so far hasn't panned out into that. And I know that that's what their hope was when they drafted him a few years back. Right. And I think that that's not the, the end of the world. I think, he, you know, I really like Logan Brown. I thought, you know, his injuries have kind of held him back a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think center is probably that if I had to pick a position, that's kind of what I would go in and, and hope to come out with. And I think that this year you could end up with uh, at least one very good one in the top five. Yeah, uh, well, that's awesome to hear. I think you're right in line with what we've been thinking and hoping, expecting from this draft, probably what most Suns fans are looking for as well. Uh, so another question that we have is our understanding, being you know not experts on this subject, but that this draft, we're constantly hearing, that's one of the deepest drafts we've had in years. And I'm curious about uh, taking a step back. How hard is it? to scout players when you have a draft class that's this deep you know is it actually easier or more difficult when you have loads of talent versus a year where maybe there's like a few high-end guys and then a whole lot of guys that people are less sure about uh it definitely means that you know to me my analysis has kind of changed a little bit i would say like you're really trying to dig into 
how the players play uh, as opposed to how good they are just in terms of their results and their impact on the game. What's interesting this year is that you have a lot of professional players at the top end already. So you have guys like Anton Lindell, Yaroslav Askarov, uh, Rodion Amirov, uh, the Swedes, uh, so Holtz, Raymond, um, you know, you've got Tim Stutzla as well up at the up at the top. And these guys have all been playing against men pretty much all season. And you don't usually see that many players that have played against men for the whole year. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see their impacts and, and how positive or negative they've been at that level. Uh, you know, there are obviously a lot of junior talents as well, but I think a lot of it breaks down to how the players play because I think there's a lot that can discern, um, you know, when you get to this point, I feel like a, like the idea of fit and, and making sure that what you're drafting is what you want out of the player that you're drafting. So you don't draft Quinton Byfield hoping to turn him into, you know, the biggest, most physically punishing center you can find in the league because he's six foot four and, and decently skilled. You know, you're, you're going out looking for a guy who you think could be the next big skilled center that can score a ton of points. And, you know, his defense is up and down, but that's kind of, Know, the pros heavily outweigh the cons there. So it's more about analyzing who they are uh, and, and how they play and then kind of understanding, you know, like I wouldn't look at a team that's been drafting a ton of wingers and has no center depth to go out and draft Alexander Holt extremely high because, you know, yeah, he might be able to be a goal scorer, but you, you, in order to enable a goal scorer to score goals, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And a lot of that, in my opinion, flows through centers. So if you don't have the center that can really play at both ends of the ice and push play offensively like you know the, the, to, to get those pucks to Holtz then you might be a little bit disappointed with the outcome and you might you know miss on on the player relative to some other players in that range like you need to have the developmental path sort of already sort of planned out in order to make the right decision when there's so many players in this range Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point. So do you think that uh, this year teams are going to be more conscious of those that developmental path, as you say, when drafting players? Because it's not necessarily as clear who's just like straight up the best player. Uh, I mean, usually the metric is best player available, but do you think you're going to see more teams possibly going off the board this year because there is such a depth of talent? Oh, what's interesting is, I mean, I, I don't know from the team side. I think that from the team side that they're not, you know, I don't, I don't know for a fact if they're changing the, changing the way that they judge the talent or anything in, the, in this draft. But I think that you're seeing, I think that what you'll see between now and the draft is a lot of teams, you know, I don't want to say overthink, but really overanalyze uh, what, what's going on. And I mean, the more that people have time to go back and and look at tape and look at video and, and interview more players and stuff, the more information can, can, in my opinion, kind of clog up the system and you end up making decisions that I think are almost too informed. And you're kind of looking for things that might not be there uh, in order to convince yourself of something else. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but in terms of talent evaluation, you know, I, I think teams are looking, especially at the very, very high end of the draft, I think they're looking most for fit. You know, you don't want guys who, you know, I'm a believer in the fact that there is a psychological part to development and, and, and talent building that can get 
uh, missed on the analytics community, I think. And I mean, I'm as data focused as you'll find, but I think that's been the primary focus for a lot of teams in the past. Uh, and I think that's going to be no different this year. And that always leads to interesting decisions that I think you wouldn't expect. I mean, for me, hearing more and more about Tim Stutzler being the second guy off the board or the third guy off the board, you know, if that's a decision a team wants to make, then then by all means uh, go nuts. And if it, if it is the right fit and there is the right developmental pathway and everything is sort of set up, you know, in any given year, a decision like that, that could come down the pipe. I mean, we saw uh, the Chicago Blackhawks take Kirby Dock at third overall last year, which I can't remember very many people anticipating happening. I'm a big fan of Kirby Dock, but even I didn't think that that was going to happen. So I don't know if it's so much about looking at the talent uh, and, and trying to find the quote unquote best player available, because I think it's really hard. You're looking at, you know, let's take an Alexander Holtz who might be a 30 or 40 goal scorer in the NHL. Well, how do you weigh that in terms of the quality of the, of his, of his play playing against men versus someone like a Cole Perfetti who, you know, I think is a pretty good dual threat offensive player, you know, the skating, obviously, everyone seems to to have questions about, but you know, I think he's a player that more than does enough to to overcome those weaknesses. But it's hard to sort of a b those guys, especially that high in the draft, and go, yeah, we're absolutely certain that this player is better than this player because what they're good at and what they're not so good at is are are quite different. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it was really well said. <laughs> Avery, I know you were uh, wondering about the German league because there's a few prospects that kind of were crossing your mind. Um, EEL has been producing more quality prospects in recent years. It's like more Cider you saw last year, drafted pretty high by Detroit. How do you evaluate the talent coming from Germany in this year's draft? Well, uh, it's interesting. I, I find that, you know, I've done reports on all three Germans coming out of this year's draft. I'm I'm not sure if there's going to be any more Germans coming down later in the draft, but I'm pretty sure that these are going to be the three. Uh, I, I like them all, but like we were just talking about with Holtz and, and Perfetti or whatever, they're, they're very different. They're all very different players to me. I, I, I look at someone like a Lucas Reichel, and I have him ranked a lot higher than most people, mostly because of the evidence that, that I tracked and saw leading me to believe that, that, you know, his potential, you know, you, you kind of know what you're getting when you draft him and he's good at what he's good at. So getting to the front of the net, getting those dangerous chances. I've seen flashes of being a good breakout and transition player. You know, his defensive game, I think, is not uh, great, but that's not really the player that you're drafting if you want a defensive player. Like, I think he's a guy who, especially away from the puck, can be, you know, a creative sort of finding open space type you know, high danger shot generator, you know, he, he, he blows the competition away. And I'm, I'm still trying to find a player who takes as many high and medium danger shot attempts as he did in the games that I tracked. So I'm a big fan of Lucas Reichel, but there are things that he doesn't do so well relative to say a John Jason Paterka. And if I could, I would mash those two guys together to make a hockey player. I think Paterka has, you know, uh, one of the better motors, like he just goes and goes and goes throughout the whole game. Um, it's it's interesting to see that because I think both of those players have the developmental trajectory to be NHL players. I don't know if they're going to be massive impact players, either Paterka or Reichel. Um, but I think Paterka is rock solid as sort of a crash and bang grinder, middle six guy who can chip in offensively. And Lucas Reichel might be a power play slash third line offensive guy who can chip in and get dangerous chances on his own stick. Tim Stutzla, on the other hand, I mean, you know, I know some people are putting him at number two. I'm not one of those people. I, I have him pretty solidly 
in that four or five slot top five type player. Like, I just think he's just an electrifying offensive player. I think there are some things that you need to, you know, rein him in on. I think he's a bit immature with how he, you know, he plays, He it seems to me like he tries to play like a superstar, you know, high, high, high pace, you know, high skill, almost overplaying the puck a lot. Um, and, and there's a lot of sort of inconsistency with how he uh, approaches the game with the puck on his own stick. He's, he's just constantly trying things all the time to the point where you kind of go, okay, like take a step back, survey the ice and just pick a play and make it, you know, like it's, you know, it, but, but again, the, the, the talent is there. there. There's no question that in terms of raw talent and skating and skill and all that fun stuff, he's right up at the top and and I can see why people would really like him in the top three. Um, but I think he's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a slower burn, uh, but, but he's got all the potential in the world to be a great sort of offensive winger in the NHL. Thank you. Uh, Otto will be able to snag probably either one of Stutzel or Byfield at number three overall or somebody else for that matter. Uh, what are your NHL comparables to both players? Well, I really like uh, Quinton Byfield and, and the way that I sort of see him right now is sort of like a weird hybrid between Austin Matthews and Evgeny Malkin, you know, not, you know, you're going to need to be patient and work on some stuff with him, but the raw tools that he has, you know, I think he's a player who, you know, like I live in the Toronto area. I've seen Austin Matthews play a ton. uh, And I've seen what people say about Austin Matthews. And, you know, what I'll say is that people criticize his back checking. They criticize his defensive intensity um, but they're not complaining so much when he's shooting the puck from, you know, the middle of the faceoff dots and putting it, you know, where the goalie is not, um, you know, and he does it arguably better than anyone else in the league at five on five. So, you know, I don't see that out of Quinton Byfield, but I definitely see the the skating and skill and and sort of more of a playmaker mentality out of out of Byfield than someone like an Austin Matthews, which is where that sort of Evgeny Malkin kind of vibe comes from. Uh, and then there's that defensive intensity where when you watch Byfield play, you kind of go, I wish you would keep your feet moving a little bit more or, you know, use your stick a little bit more effectively to to sort of shut down those breakouts. But I mean, I can't complain too much. His offense is just so overwhelming at times. You know, his his potential is overwhelming. Uh, and, and his actual results that I've tracked have been pretty good. Uh, not as good as I would expect, but you can absolutely see the potential there. Uh, whereas with Tim Stutzla, you know, he's pretty much, you know, I, I, he's a he's a real high skill winger. And there's lots of those in the NHL. Uh, you know, I, I don't like he really kind of reminds me of a lesser version of a Patrick Kane, you know, good skill, real high pace, uh, tries a whole lot, you know, trying to make a play happen uh, while also being able to score points on his own. But I certainly don't want to paint the picture that, you know, this is net, this is sort of the, the next Patrick Kane. I think he's got some refinements to go in his game and I don't think he's as skilled or as gifted offensively, but you know, he reminds me of that sort of excitement. He's, he's a guy that to me, like I like to say about players like Stutzla, he's going to put bums in seats. He's going to sell tickets. It, you know, if he works out, He's exciting, he's fun, and he's going to score points. And I, that's not the worst thing to end up with in the top five. Certainly not, yeah. Especially in the situation that LA has potentially with Pitar and, and sheltering Byfield. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't be, that would be the opposite of the galaxy brain thinking. Like, that's, that's, that's what they probably should do. You know, you've got Anze Kopitar there, you've got, you know, 
uh, a whole bunch of young other forwards that are already there that you can all sort of build with. And I, I think that it would be the smart move at number two, but you know, I've heard people making arguments for a number of players in that, in that slot, which, you know, agree or disagree. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when the draft comes. The thing with Byfield that I really liked is when he interviewed, uh, I believe it was Sportsnet, um, he said that he was like a really hard worker and that he'd love to be part of the solution in Ottawa. And I kind of like that attitude as well, because, I mean, some players would love to just get drafted onto a team like, you know, Pittsburgh or whatever, a team where they have no pressure on them. They can step in, they can kind of play in the shadows of better players and the spotlight's off them rather than guys who are like, no, I want to step in and I want to prove that I can like point this team in the right direction. So I kind of liked his his attitude when it came to that as well. Yeah, I mean, you need to be that, right? Like if you, especially if you want to be one of the best centers in the National Hockey League, which I don't know if Byfield can get to that point, but he has all the talent in the world to to get there one day. Um, and And you need to be that kind of, you need to have that kind of mentality. Like there's a lot of players who, you know, get drafted high and just don't naturally have that, you know, it's like I, I, I always try to put myself in their shoes and, and I've been in situations where you think you understand how much work it takes to achieve something. And then you get into the situation and then you immediately realize, you know, oh, crap, this is serious, right? Like this is a real rubber hits the road kind of situation. And how you react in those situations can really have a major, you know, impact on your career because in the National Hockey League, like. The league doesn't slow down to cater to you if you can't keep up and teams will give you a lot of rope if they, if they can, but uh, clock starts ticking as soon as you're drafted. And once you hit the NHL, it's, you know, you're, you're going to need to start playing and, and it's not an easy league to play in. Uh, So I'm optimistic about him for sure. Uh, Wherever he goes in the draft. And I think if he goes anywhere lower than two, um, I'll be cheering for him to prove whoever, whoever passes on him uh i'll be cheering for him to pr- prove them wrong as they say or put the puck in the back of the net as uh <laughs> philip satina yeah. once said um right exactly now the sens also have number five which i think there's a lot of debate going around about who they could take at number five now there's been an argument mm-hmm. that they should take uh, a defenseman rather than another elite forward and even on our podcast and like last week we debated that point and, and we all had differences in opinion on who they should take. Um, and I'll let you weigh in on, on if the Sen should take uh, Drysdale or even Sanderson at five, but beyond those two, uh, is there a defenseman in the draft you think would be worth targeting either in the, the mid to late first round with that New York Islanders pick that the Sens have, or maybe a guy that the Senators can pick up in the second round who you think is maybe underrated? Well, uh, so let me first start by saying that I'm pretty, you know, I'm I'm already on the boat of that this is a pretty defense light draft. I think Jamie Drysdale is going to at least be a very good, you know, maybe a solid first pair defenseman down the road, but more than likely a very good sort of second pair guy you can play in any given situation that can that can play offense, play solid defensively. Um, and just a reliable sort of guy at both ends. With Jake Sanderson, he's not a guy I'm looking at at, at five. I, I can, you know, part of me wants to say that Drysdale will be gone before the fifth overall pick. I just get the feeling that teams are going to see the defenseman, the right-hand shot, 
uh, the offense that he has and, and how easy it is that he makes it look when he passes the puck around the ice. Like he, he has it. Um, and I think teams are going to jump on that, whether it's Ottawa at three, LA at two, even, or, or, you know, uh, in the fourth slot, I believe is Detroit. Right. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes, but Sanderson at five would not be the direction I go. I think that he's going to be a good sort of top four guy, you know, excellent transition defender going both directions better than probably anyone that I've tracked this year. And I'm pretty comfortable saying that about, about 20 to 25 defensemen so far this year. Uh, and, and so he's, he's right up there. He's not, I think the points are misleading with him. Uh, but I certainly don't think that in that slot, you, you can really bet on that being the best pick at five uh, in the mid first round, depending on where uh that Islanders pick lands. I mean, I have other defensemen in my first round. Like you have Eric Brandstrom in Ottawa already. Uh, and if you like players with that kind of an excitement level on defense, guys like William Wallander might be one that, that, that stick out to me. Big tons of tools, but like really, really raw. You're going to need to wait a few years for him to sort of sort some stuff out, but the talent is really, really good with him. You know, but outside of him, maybe in the first round, I know guys are really high on people like Jeremy Poirier, uh, Helga Grantz, uh, Emil Andre, even Toby Nimala. I'm not a huge Caden Gooley and Braden Schneider guy. I like Caden Gooley for what he is, but in the first round, that's not the direction I would go. I, I think you need to draft things that, you know, players that are have talent profiles that are hard to find. You know, if you're at five and you can add someone like a Cole Perfetti, uh, and then you ha- like if you, if the senators come out of the top five with Byfield or Perfetti, that you're laughing, or Byfield Rossi, you're 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 laughing. Um, if you come out of the first round with someone like Byfield, Rossi, or Perfetti, and then in the mid first round you draft a I don't know John Jason Paterka or um, you know Maverick Bork if he's available, or you can afford to take the swing on a Hendricks Lapierre who has all the potential in the world and could be a top ten pick if he wasn't injured. Um, but there's lots of defensemen outside of the first round that I absolutely would be pounding the table for guys like Yoni Yermo in Finland. Uh, I like Topi Nimala, but you know, he's a pretty high floor type defenseman. Uh, you know, if you like that Eric Bronstrom style of puck mover, it's someone like an Anton Johansson is kind of like a mini version of him. Uh, you know, and there's, there's a few defensemen who I think are just really interesting case studies. Brock Faber is another one out of the US NTDP. Uh, and the last one I would mention is, is, for about the mid rounds of the draft, if you want to be really patient, someone like a Wyatt Kaiser uh, could be a really interesting sort of defenseman out of high school that you kind of bet on his skating and just wait. Um, but in the first round, I, I'm not extremely excited about a ton of the defensemen that are available, um, especially in the ranges where the, the senators might be drafting, but you never know. They might trade down somewhere. They might trade up. I, I don't know, but it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Okay, yeah, I think that kind of gives us some good insight because I, I was kind of looking at the defensemen in the draft and it was kind of hard to weigh in, uh, especially when like guys like, you know, Sanderson, Drysdale, I feel like are almost rated higher in this draft because there's less high-end defensemen going and it's mostly like a first round uh, is heavy with elite forward talent or at least uh, ceiling-wise uh, elite. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, another guy I was actually kind of interested in, switching gears from defense to offense, he was like slated to go I think in the second or third round a couple of months ago but he's risen up quite high in the rankings and it's Seth Jarvis I was pretty high on him a few months ago I thought he was 
quite a look, good looking player in terms of uh, what what he performs and what he shows on the ice. Uh, and finally, like he jumped up to the first round, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on on why it took so long for him to really emerge in the in the rankings. Sure. So Seth Jarvis, I, I've tracked a few games of his. I've not done the full sample that I usually do for players, but he will get to a full sample. Uh, but so far, my impression is that he's one of the more fascinating prospects available that might be in the first round. I've heard on the team side anything from, you know, this guy's a top 10 player to this guy's a player I don't touch in the first round. And I can see the arguments for either side. You know, there's some data that I've seen out there that paint him as a very, very good defensive player. Frankly, I don't think I quite see that. Um, And the data that I've tracked doesn't show that. He's not a player that's particularly involved in defensive transitions a whole lot uh, away from the puck. He's a bit inactive. But that I don't mean to make that sound like he's a terrible hockey player because the magic is sort of in the offensive zone. He's really, you know, what I would call sort of a no BS offensive player. He, His data with me is, you know, you look at his pass attempts and he's not passing the puck a tremendous amount, uh, which might be a bit concerning, especially when you see that he's not completing. I think he's under 70% of his passes. So he's missing on about 30 or 35% of his passes, which is, again, not a great start, but when you realize that a lot of those passes, I think it's something like 30%, I'm just pulling it up now, uh, are to the slot area. So he's, you know, more so than most players I've tracked, he's really trying to cook. Uh, it's a 36%, it just popped up. Uh, so more than a third of the time, his pass attempts are going to the front of the net. And and they're not connecting all the time, but per 60 minutes to do that as often as he does really indicates to me that this is a guy who's pretty focused on offense. I mean, four out of five of his individual shot attempts are dangerous, which is higher than almost anyone that I've tracked a significant number of games of. Uh, And and I think that there's a lot of things that he does offensively that are really, really good uh, and should project no problem. Uh, But the thing that kind of concerns me is away from the puck uh, on defense, but that's not necessarily so much to spook me away from something like a top, 15 pick I would say and if he's available after 15th overall and you have those uh sort of two-way players who can chip in defensively and have that high motor uh around him on the on the ice with him and you can let him focus more on on maybe pinching up a little higher on the ice you know playing more in the offensive zone as much as he can you know then you might be able to use his offensive instincts as best as they can be applied. Uh, and you just sort of live with the, the bit of a downside, but he also does show nice skating from time to time uh, where you might be able to turn that into a bit of a better player away from the puck. But what he does now is, is very focused on offense, which to me is not the end of the world. Uh, but if someone's trying to pitch him as sort of a top 10 cornerstone franchise player, like I think there are quite a few of in the top 10 this year, I don't think I would go that far. Uh, there are guys who have scored like he has that have been drafted a little bit even later and just not really panned out. But I don't really see the same issues with him as some of those guys. Um, I, I think he's got potential as an offensive winger. Um, but but in that sort of top 10 slot, I that might be a bit rich for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's... <laughs> A lot more than than I even uh, expected on a breakdown for Seth Jarvis. So I appreciate it. That's well said. <laughs> so that's a that's a good transition opportunity because one of the last questions that we have for you, Will, 
you were talking about this high-end offensive talent, particularly your goal scorers. So your guys like Seth Jarvis, we've heard about Alexander Holtz, we've heard about Jack Quinn of the Ottawa 67s. Uh, who do you think is the best pure goal scorer in this draft? Alex Holtz, I think, is is got you know his his shot is hilarious. I mean, it's you you know my main criticisms of him in the video report that I made were two things. One, his defensive play is not great. At, at times, it's just, it got better as the year went on. You could say, uh, but there were some things where you're you know it was a team issue, but he was not you know not bucking the trend uh, uh, for his team, but. Uh, the other thing he didn't do so well in my tracking is get to the inside. So, you know, I look at other goal scorers and go, okay, I want my goal scorers to give themselves the best chance to score goals. And Alexander Holtz, I believe took one shot attempt from high danger, which is right in front of the net. And he took another one from between sort of the face-off circles, which is about medium danger. And all of the other ones of which there were quite a few were from outside. So he's streaking up the blue line, taking a look, and shooting from outside the faceoff dot or streaking in on the blue line and just ripping it right as he crosses the blue line. Um, or he's going down towards the goal line and shooting from there, which again, he'll, he can score from there. I've seen him do it. He's been able to tuck pucks in from angles where no mortal human being would be able to score goals, but he, he does it. You know, he, he, he's just an extremely talented shooter with, the most ridiculous release available in this year's draft. You know, I look at someone like a Jack Quinn and go, yeah, he's a good goal scorer for sure. Uh, a good junior level goal scorer. Um, and I think he's an underrated playmaker for sure. But when I look at guys who, you know, if I want to pat a guy on the back, if I'm coaching and say, you know, I'm comfortable with this guy shooting from anywhere on the ice and scoring goals, it's going to be Alex Holtz, you know, power play, stick him out for two minutes. Uh, you know, even strength, he can score from anywhere. I mean, he, he's a lethal threat. He's not a guy who I think you can channel your entire line through. I don't think he's sort of this number one winger franchise two-way player, but definitely, definitely a premier goal scorer at the end of the day. I mean, and if you get a guy who can score 35 goals, pop 25 assists and surround him with good talent, uh, you're laughing, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do you think that there's a case to be made for taking Holtz above Raymond of our two Swedish wingers in the top 10 because of that goal scoring upside? Or do you think that'd be a reach? Well, it, I don't think it would be a reach. It's not the decision that I would make. Uh, I know there are some people out there who say, well, he does the hardest thing to do really well, which is score goals. Um, but when I've seen Lucas Raymond play, there's so much other stuff that he does so well. You know, he's a really smart, dynamic player, really explosive on his feet. I mean, Alex Holtz can skate. He's a pretty quick skater once he gets going. Uh, and I think Lucas Raymond maybe lacks that sort of super high top end speed that some other guys might have. But, you know, I think I mentioned it in the Raymond video where, you know, you don't have to win a race by being the fastest, play, but being the fastest at a certain point. You know, if you can get quick right off the hop and you make enough of a gap, you can still win that race. And I think Lucas Raymond is a good example of that. He can really explode off of his feet. Uh, he needs to get a bit stronger on his feet, but I think the skill is there. It didn't come out as much as you would hope. He barely played with Forlunda this year. Uh, and, and when I tracked him, I mean, I look at the data that I tracked of him and defensively away from the puck, he's much better than Alexander Holtz in terms of his results. Uh, his shot differentials, like when you remove low danger shot attempts at both ends of the ice, 
uh, Lucas Raymond, when he was on the ice, was controlling three quarters of the of the shot attempts, which very few players can 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 match on my list. Uh, whereas with uh, Alex Holtz, his was at half that. So, you know, these players' impacts when they're on the ice, I think, are very different. You know, you you guys are Ottawa people. You know, it's like looking at Lucas Raymond through the lens of like a Mark Stone, not saying they're the same type of player, but you look at Mark Stone who went out and had a few years scoring 60, 70 points, not extreme, you know, top five in the league scoring, but his two way impact and his game at both ends made the Ottawa senators a better team. And it made him an extremely valuable player in the NHL. Uh, Whereas with Alexander Holtz, yeah, he's going to have value through his goal scoring. But I lean towards Raymond because I think Raymond is a player that you can really depend on at both ends of the ice. I think he could, you know, be that sort of penalty killing type with enough skill and enough offense to play, you know, on the power play and play an offensive role in an NHL team. I think you need to be patient with him, but I think, you know, if I had to pick between the two, it would probably be Raymond, but I have all the time in the world to to talk about Alexander Holtz. Well, well, let me tell you, you had me at Max yeah. Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew it. No, it's actually funny because I've been to Ottawa before. Well, if Bennett hadn't brought up the Holtz Raymond comparable, I definitely was going to. And then when you brought up Mark Stone, when and not I know you said not a direct comparable, but in terms of Raymond being the more two way player, I, I was, you know, laughing in my head because I was like, Man, that, that's literally all I was gonna ask about Raymond and also about the Holtz Raymond comparison. So uh I'm glad that that conversation yeah. happened. Um I was gonna kind of, <laughs> I was gonna do uh, one kind of, uh, one more hypothetical question, I guess. Um, it, who do you see as being maybe the biggest uh, bust in this year's draft, or guy who you're really skeptical of maybe his showing, even though they put up good numbers, but you're just not convinced? And then who's the one player who you have like a draft crush on, who you really? like and you would take maybe a bit higher than they're slated to go mm-hmm. so the first part is a tough question to answer because draft hasn't happened yet and i think that when you look back at who was selected you can look back and go i don't see a universe and where where this decision is what makes sense you know for example i, I look at the edmonton oilers taking philip broberg last year and i'm going that's a team that just seems to have wanted a defenseman and swung as hard as they could for the fences as they could. And, you know, I, I don't mind Philip Broberg, but at the eighth overall pick, that's, I don't know what universe that that is. I mean, guys like Vasily Pod Colson were still available. Cole Caulfield were still available. You know, the idea of Cole Caulfield playing on Connor McDavid's wing with Kaylor Yamamoto somewhere else on the lineup is horrifying. It's terrifying, but they decided not to do that and go for a, defenseman who this year in the SHL when I saw him was a competent two-way player that can move around the ice really well which is fine but you don't you know you don't it's a it's an unknown thing so it'll be interesting though because I look at the draft board that is sort of the average of everyone sort of mixed together and what Bob McKenzie put out which is usually the most accurate of them all and I look at someone like Braden Schneider and I don't see a first round defenseman out of him I look at his age I look at how he plays I look at the results I've seen out of him uh, and I just don't see a first round level defenseman there and if he's a guy who's picked in the top 20 I don't want to say he's gonna bust I think he's a player who's going to get as many chances in the NHL and be, you know, one of those guys who, you know, spends a lot of time with his, uh, 
you know, NHL team getting minutes and people are maybe questioning how valuable he is. And then he sort of bounces around from team to team from there. I could be wrong, but that's just the read that I get on a player like that. If you're going to be drafting him in the top 20, I think a team is expecting the sun and moon out of him. And I think when you expect the sun and moon out of a guy who I don't think can provide that, but is uh, more likely to be a number four, five, six defenseman who can play on the penalty kill, uh, then maybe that's when you get off on the wrong foot and you might end up with someone where you're not particularly happy with and you passed on players that that might end up having better careers. You know, I, and that's just a question of where he's going to get drafted. If he's gone at 40 or 45, then yeah, I totally am okay with that pick. I think he's going to be an average to below average NHL player at worst, um, but he's going to play. And if you can get a player who can play in the second round, that's good. Um, so he's the name that jumps to mind for me personally. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, I'm really, 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 really big on Murat Kuznetinov, and that's not a secret. Um, you know, I have him ranked top 15, and most people have him in the second round, early to mid-second round. And what I love about him is, on the one hand, yes, he plays in the Russian Junior League, but you know, you're looking at trajectory, and when you look at where he was at the beginning of the year, he's playing for SKA St. Petersburg's best junior team so they have two junior teams and he's playing on their better one which is loaded with 20 year olds 19 year olds uh gigantic dudes who probably should be playing pro hockey in russia and he was sort of their third line center you know he caught my eye at the under 18s last year uh and and i thought he was really really impressive as such a young player he doesn't turn 18 until july i believe uh and i the more and more i watched him just the more and more he is that center that that i would want both ends of the ice, relentless energy. He's got great, great skill with his hands when he flashes it. He's got tons and tons of footwork and speed, and he has that motor that you want. You know, the only downside is that he's five foot nine and a bit weak, but I think that you can train him and, and let him get bigger and stronger in Russia. Um, and he worked his way up to being a top six center with that really, really talented junior team. Uh, and I have all the hope in the world that he can be a good player. I think his offense is, is just under the surface. It got much, much better after Christmas. Uh, and, and he's a guy who I'm a big, big fan of. And, you know, he might end up only being sort of a third line guy that can chip in offensively in the NHL. But I, I think that there's potential for, for much more than that. If he's, if he takes his time and, and comes over when he's uh, a more dominant player over in Russia. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Cause I think that European leagues, Especially uh, Russia, I find kind of go under the radar when it comes to like a, a Western audience, at least from a non-draft mm. uh, analyst perspective, right? Like, um, you know, I'm more well versed on guys in the CHL than I am on guys from Russia. So, I think that uh, that kind of helps uh, give us a little insight into uh, some of the players over there. Now, I kind of lied because you piqued my interest earlier. But you said you didn't like the Senators draft last year. So that had me thinking almost the whole podcast was like, okay, I was looking at the prospects that they picked up. And I was like, I, I, I don't have like an opinion of, of this way or that. I do like Mad Sogard. I'm kind of wondering what, what uh, who you weren't high on that the Sens drafted. Oh, I mean, so I, I thought... Lassie Thompson at 19, you know, Lassie Thompson is fine. I think he's an, a, a solid hockey player. But when you look at who was on the board, I mean, I really like Tobias Bjorn fought. I thought Billy Hainala 
uh, was a better defenseman than Lassie Thompson, if I'm recalling from my rankings yeah. properly. But I mean, I look at Ryan Suzuki, uh, the thought of him in an Ottawa Senators jersey is much scarier to me than Lassie Thompson. Uh, someone like a, I, I, the data that I tracked on Connor McMichael was extremely good and I didn't lean into it as much as I, as much as I should have. Um, but he's a player who is a really, really interesting prospect. You know, I liked Philip Tomasino, but even I didn't expect him to be as good as he was this year. Um, you know, there, there were names that I just looked at and went, okay, Lassie Thompson is very old for the draft class. He didn't play on the best team and some of his data did look very good. Uh, but I, I just, whenever I watch him play hockey, I find him a little clunky, relies a lot on his shooting, which to me isn't the best indicator of a great defenseman. You know, if there's more to the game to playing defense than, than just shooting the puck offensively. Um, and, and so I, maybe there's a better defenseman there down the road, but, but can, again, the debate about someone like say Sanderson, it's, it's what are you leaving on the board uh, to take the player that you want? You know, uh, Shane Pinto in the second round, I thought was a reach. He had a great year. Uh, but I was a huge fan of Arthur Kaliev and Bobby Brink. And, you know, Niels Hoaglander as well was great at the World Juniors. Uh, you know, these are guys that I had ranked much higher that I thought might be better players. But I, I can't say I don't like Shane Pinto. But, you know, it, it was pretty easy to see that there are other players that you might want to look at. I mean, Mad Sogard, fine goaltender, but you traded up to get him. And, you know, draft trading up to draft a goaltender is, to me... Not the best sort of calculus unless you really, really, really want that goalie. And I never have been impressed in terms of that level of, of goaltender out of him. Uh, I'm just looking at their list now of like who was on the board there. But, you know, going off the board, going for someone like a Victor Lodine. I mean, once you get past second round, you can kind of take just guys that you like. Uh, but it doesn't really mean that there wasn't value left on the board at those picks. I mean, I'm looking at Ottawa taking Victor Lodine. Well, four picks later, Matthias Michelli went to the Coyotes. And there are reasons why Michelli went so late. And I'm not surprised he had such a good year. But there's a lot of players on the board where when I look at Victor Lodine and, and Mark Kastelik, who are both fine, I guess, but... To me, there were players that I thought were much bigger swings to the fences. And if I'm the Ottawa Senators, you know, I'm trying to build the best possible team I can, not just fill my system with guys that are big that I think could play. Uh, you know, I, I want to draft guys that might not play, but if they do, holy crap, they're, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, so I just feel like they kind of aimed a little low uh, and, and went sort of with the traditional method of the older bigger players that maybe have a longer track record whether it's positive or negative but they know more and it, and it just wasn't really my thing especially in a year that I felt was really pivotal uh, for their long-term success especially considering uh, and I hate to mention it but especially considering they didn't have that that top pick they should have had yes I'll come to that <laughs> to the Matt trade. I can I can't help it. I can't help myself. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, thank you so much. I'm sure we could pick your brain for another couple hours, but uh, <laughs> I won't do that to you uh, this time around. So, uh, yeah, big, big thank you for coming on and talking about prospects and the draft Anytime. and everything. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, I got a lot out of it, and I'm sure the other guys did too. So uh, thank you for hopping on with us tonight. It was great, guys. Yeah, thanks for having no me. No problem. Have a great night. See ya. All right, see ya.
So if you want to find uh, Will's Will's stuff on uh, both Twitter and YouTube, you can find him at Will Scouch at Scouching on Twitter, and you can also find him on YouTube. Uh, his channel name is Scouching. So either one of those, check it out. He has some great content, uh, and definitely worth worth a follow and and uh, subscribing to him on YouTube. Um, he makes great content in regards to prospects and draft content. So yeah, give him a, give him a follow, check him out, and uh, hope you enjoy. I thought that was an interesting conversation. I'm glad I asked him about the Sens prospect system. I think he was like spot on with uh, the Senators kind of going the safe route. The Sens have always been like that. Like they, They'll either get the guys who are safe picks or guys who could pan out to be good depth players but don't have a lot of like flash or, or like what do you call that like uh like something that that really speaks to their game you know yeah the one thing i'll disagree with him with though is on lassie thompson i think that was a great pick at 19 where he compared it to ryan suzuki yo like lassie thompson had 40 points in 63 games in the whl for a defenseman yeah I think Lassie Thompson was always known for his shot, and I think the Senators just wanted that kind of big boom from the shot point kind of guy, and uh, and so I understand why they. I they agree because you got to have your offensive defenseman. Yeah, but it's not even that. Like he doesn't scream offensive defenseman to me. To me, he seems more like um. Now I know people are gonna like hate the fact I made this comparison, but like he kind of almost comes off like a like a a better Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> no. I'm going with Dion Phaneuf because Dion Phaneuf, obviously, in his later years, wasn't very good. Uh, like Avery, Avery, because oh, he was done. Yeah, but... um, and like Avery, uh, I, I, being a Leafs fan, uh, you know how Phaneuf was was talked about in, uh, you know, uh, To and um, and yeah, but like he's a guy who he has a blast of a shot. Like he has a hell of a shot, and he's not the best skater. But he's a, a two like in his prime, he was like a great two way. The double Dion. The double Dion, yeah. Like he was a good two way defenseman, and even in that playoff run with the Sens, I actually I thought his game was fairly decent. I mean, especially when he's playing with. I agree. He was solid. Especially when he's playing with Black Hole Cody Cece, who got one assist in nineteen playoff games. I don't even know how. That's if possible. it wasn't for his contract, he would have been a guy to. Uh... Like, it's just his contract screwed him over for a long time. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, but, like, I think it was you and I. We went to the Sens, the first game where he played with the Sens, and I think they were against the Avalanche after the trade. I could be wrong. But um, but I remember, like, whoever was in net that night, they got scored on fairly early on in the game, and he... And he was the first yep. guy to skate down and tap him on the pads. He's the only guy to skate down and tap him on the yeah. pads, Yeah. And I remember that, and he, whatever he said, I don't know, right? But, like, it's just, he was a very quality leader, even if... Oh, remember, like, coming out of Toronto, though, is that was one of the things the players never had. Like, the players loved the dude. Yeah. yeah. He was I a leader. I had a lot of time for Dion Phaneuf. I think uh, one phrase that I heard many years ago, I want to say it was Dan Rosen of the NHL Network, but don't quote me on that. But he said something along the lines of, uh, there are no bad players at the NHL level. There are only bad contracts. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me of like, basically any of the guys that are playing at this elite level, they're all great players, you know, by the standards of like pretty much anything. But 
if you settle a guy with mm-hmm. a massive contract and he doesn't live up to that, everyone's going to walk around saying that he's terrible. And it's like, that's never really entirely fair. You can say they're well, not living up to expectations. Bobby Ryan. Yeah. Bobby Ryan is the first thing that came to my mind too, yeah. Yeah. Like, if Bobby Ryan was on, like, $3 million a year, like, men's fans would still love yeah. the guy. I mean, we, we still, like, we, we root for him. Like, I root for him, especially yeah. with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years. But, I mean, that contract's a mess. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like what Bobby Ryan said. He's like, everyone always talks about how my contract's so bad. But it's good for me. I like my contract. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So thank you everybody for listening to this week's episode. Um, As always, you can find us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, or Google play music. And as well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, So thank you for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next time.